0: coming up.
1: And so they went through and they tested, finally, all of these rape kits, and new laws were put into place so that this doesn't happen again.
0: For Vault Studios, I'm Reid Redmond. You're listening to The Daily Crime. In late 2006 and early 2007, two women in Cleveland, Ohio, were raped— under similar circumstances, just three months apart from each other. Both reported what happened to them and were quickly administered sexual assault exams, or rape kits. And those rape kits contained evidence that would eventually solve their cases. But for over a decade, that evidence would sit on shelves collecting dust.
2: And I, out of all these years, I just thought like, oh, it'll never happen. He's still out here doing this stuff, probably to other women and everything. And I didn't, I never thought that I would get justice for it. Never thought that I would get justice for it,
0: but I did. Rachel Polanski joins us from Cleveland, Ohio, where she's an investigative reporter with WKYC Studios. Rachel, let's work our way up to the recent news in this case, starting with the stories of these two survivors of sexual assault that have spoken with WKYC, whose names I should mention have been withheld from the coverage. But take us back to late 2006, early 2007. What did they share with you about what happened and what the initial investigation into these assaults looked like?
1: Hey, Reed. thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad you're doing this story because... Talking about rape and rape kits is so important, and it is not talked about enough. Um, so let's start with uh, Jane Doe, number one. Um, that was back on a cold winter day in December uh, 2006. Um, this young woman, she was just about 18 at the time, noticed that a man was walking toward her on the sidewalk. She was on the east side of Cleveland. Um, as he got closer to her, she tells me he pulled out a gun. And he
2: said, like, basically, give me what you got. I didn't have anything. I didn't have any um, change, any dollars or anything on me, no jewelry. Um, So and I was hoping that a car was going to ride up that same street. And I would have to think quick. But it
1: it was never a car that rode up or rode past at that time. She uh, was really scared. She didn't know what to do. Um, he told her that if she made any sounds that, you know, uh, he would kidnap her or hurt her. Um, so he led her to a nearby abandoned building and, uh, there she tells me he took her inside and he raped her. And my life, my life did flash. I thought I was going to die that day. I did. He
2: kept telling me that, um, he would kill me and I was hit. And when, when, after he left out of there, I was actually scared to come out of the building because of what he said to me about how he would have people come and get me or um, he would blow my head off if I came out. So I was really, really scared.
1: She left and she uh, called the police, went to the hospital, had a rape kit done, gave her statements, gave her a police report, and that was it. Jane Doe number two three months after that first attack, she had a strikingly similar encounter. She was at a bus stop. Uh, this woman was 23 years old. She had her five-month-old baby with her at the bus stop. Um, a man came over to her. He, too, said that he had a gun, and he told her to come with him and said that if she did cooperate, he would hurt her, he would hurt her child. So she, too, um, went with him, did whatever he said, um, he took her to a abandoned vacant area by, uh, nearby train tracks. And there he sexually assaulted and raped her multiple times. So again, really, really horrifying stuff here. Uh, sh- she also, she called her, uh, stepmother afterwards and her stepmother said, go to the hospital, report this. She did. She also had a rape kit done. Um, and same story as, as the other woman didn't hear anything about it until a few weeks ago when we finally got a, got a break in this case.
0: And so let's talk about why it's so important for a rape kit to be administered right away. And, and you'll hear the term rape kit or sexual assault exam. Those terms are used pretty interchangeably. But as I understand it, it's really important to administer those exams right after the crime occurs to preserve any physical evidence. And oftentimes that might be DNA evidence of, of the attacker.
1: Right, exactly. It's so important to do this right after it happens. Um, you don't want to shower or, or anything like that. Um, you, you go to the hospital and if, if you tell them they should have a sane nurse on hand, that's a sexual assault nurse examiner who is trained to do the rape kit um, or sexual assault exam, as you said. Um, so once they go there, it's, it's kind of a lengthy process, but it's such an important one. They'll ask, you know, all the questions about what happened. They'll administer this test to collect DNA. Um, if there's any DNA from the, from the suspect on you, um, they'll take your clothes, you know, anything that could possibly be helpful in catching um, the rapist. So they'll do all of this. Uh, this is while you're at the hospital. Then once they're done with that, they will turn that rape kit over to police. And then police are supposed to send that rape kit to the crime lab where they can run it um, for DNA and and look for matches uh, within the database to see if there's any links to, you know, uh, somebody who's been arrested before that has their DNA in that in that database.
0: And so in the particular cases of these two women, what happens to the rape kits, to all of this evidence that's collected after this happens?
1: So this is so heartbreaking. Um, They got sent to police and there they sat on shelves untested, collecting dust for years, didn't get tested.
0: And so is it fair to say then that these two women, these two survivors of assault, they had to live with the weight of their cases being unsolved for years simply because those those kids just went untested?
1: Yes, that is safe to say. And that has sadly happened to so many people um, over these last 20, 30 years because of the backlog.
0: It's 14 or 15 years later then that just recently these attacks are connected to a known serial rapist in Cleveland. Who is this man and how were these two cases ultimately tied to him?
1: So this man is 48-year-old Ronald Wheeler, who was already in prison for four prior rapes. Hmm. And these rapes were connected to him because the kits were finally run. And once they ran them, they could see that the DNA matched his DNA um, since he's in prison now, his DNA is in the, the database. And so they could link the two um, and sentence him to an additional 20 years. New tonight, a story of delayed justice. A serial rapist who targeted Cleveland-area women will likely spend the rest of his life behind bars after two rape kits were finally tested a decade later. So this guy now is going to be in prison until 2075, which, will, which means he will likely die in prison.
0: I want to zoom out and talk a little more broadly about the rape kit backlog nationwide. As you mentioned, this is a nationwide problem, and I know that's something you've been reporting on for years. For anyone listening to this who's learning about this for the first time, what exactly is the rape kit backlog that we're referring to?
1: Okay, so the rape kit backlog, and it's important to note that it's gotten a lot better, and most states have since cleared their backlogs. Uh, This has been an issue that we've been reporting on for years and years. And I believe the first reports of rape kit backlogs started in like 2010. Um, So in a nutshell, what happened was so many victims would, or I'd rather call them survivors, so many survivors would undergo a rape kit. Uh, That rape kit would get turned over to police and there it would sit on a shelf, untested, collecting dust for years on end. So finally, um, through a lot of reporting um, and through a lot of victims' advocates and rape crisis centers, there was uh, an ongoing effort to try and get these kits tested. That's where governors from all different states said uh, to police that they have to start testing these rape kits. Um, we all did coverage. I did a number of stories while I was in Florida, did a number of stories here in Ohio. Um, you know, there was a national push to test these rape kits and clear the backlog, I can talk specifically on Ohio. I know that we have cleared our backlog. And what they did was they took all the rape kits from 1993 to I believe it was 2011 or 2013. Um, They wanted to do it within the 25-year statute of limitations so that they can uh, convict these rapists. And so they went through and they tested, finally, all of these rape kits And new laws were put into place so that this doesn't happen again, so that when a survivor undergoes a rape kit and that rape kit is turned over to law enforcement, law enforcement must send those rape kits to the crime labs within 30 days of the assault to be tested. The goal there is so that a backlog does not happen again.
0: Mm -hmm. And I know it's not just Ohio that's been making strides. Um, I know Nevada, where I live, the, the Attorney General Aaron Ford announced just a few weeks ago that the state's backlog was cleared. But looking a little more at, you know, what you've been reporting on in Ohio, it wasn't just a few rape kits that were left sitting on shelves. It was a backlog of, as you reported, nearly fourteen thousand rape kits. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's just evidence sitting that that could solve rape cases, right?
1: right. And it's so frustrating for a number of reasons because not only is that 14,000 survivors who underwent this sexual assault exam had this kit turned over and then just have been waiting for justice, but that also means that rapists have been on the streets potentially committing more rapes. So there is just so many issues with not testing these kits. And when you talk to these survivors and you hear their stories, You know, 14,000, it sounds just like a big number, but then you put survivors' faces on that number, it it is just staggering.
0: Right. And unfortunately, I'm sure there have been other women who've been hesitant to go to law enforcement because they've heard the stories of other survivors where they've gone to the police and nothing has happened because the evidence was literally left sitting on shelves.
1: Right. Exactly. I'm sure that's happened, which is why whenever I do these stories now too, I make it a point to say at the end that if this does happen to you, you really, really want to get a rape kit, um, taken. If not even for you, even if you don't want to prosecute the rapist for whatever reason, because of other people. Um, you know, by, 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 by getting this done and getting that DNA into that database, that can help catch this potential rapist down the line. Or if he rapes someone else, it can help catch him. So there's just so many reasons why, why you should do this and, and why it's so helpful for, for survivors to, to undergo this exam.
0: So thankfully, some states are announcing that they've cleared their backlog. Some states are you know making strides towards doing that. What can you tell me about how this problem got so big in the first place? Why so many of these rape kits were left sitting on shelves?
1: So law enforcement officials had said the most common reason these kits were not tested is because they were not prosecutable cases, usually due to a lack of cooperation from the victims. They also said that at about $1,000 per per kit, officials said submitting these kits for testing um, could cost money and resources that would take away from other policing needs. The reason I have a problem with that and so many advocates have a problem with that kind of excuse is because just because a victim doesn't want to cooperate at that time doesn't mean they won't cooperate later. And even if they don't, still putting that rapist DNA into that into the system can link him to another rape that happened in the past. Or if he's a serial rapist, it could get into the system now so they can catch him later. So there's just so many reasons why it's important to test these kits, whether or not, you know, there's cooperation from the victims and, uh, and also blaming it, blaming it on expenses, like some of the agencies said, too, that they didn't send these kits because they were expensive. Federal government and state government has come in, too, and, and uh, given a lot of grants to clear these backlogs as well. Like, I know our governor in Ohio submitted a, a million, two million dollars to help clear the backlog. So they they're getting the resources elsewhere as well.
0: And of course, speaking to whether or not a lot of these cases were prosecutable in the first place... Is the results of what's happened in Ohio? We've seen hundreds of indictments result from Ohio clearing this backlog.
1: Right, right, exactly. So other states should really look to Ohio as an example because they have completed so many investigations that have resulted in indictments. Uh, Just here in Cuyahoga County, that's where Cleveland is located. The task force has completed seven thousand investigations that have resulted in eight hundred and thirty indictments. Wow! So those are all cold case. Um, those are all cold cases, 830 indictments. That's, that's a big number.
0: And it's just so important to remember that with every single one of these rape kits that goes untested, there's a story like the stories of the two survivors that you've spoken to who thankfully finally saw delayed justice, as you put it, with the conviction of Ronald Wheeler. What was their reaction to finally seeing that delayed justice in their cases?
1: These two women are just so happy that this day has finally come. I just started crying and the tears weren't from pain. It wasn't from pain because I felt the pain already.
2: I had to deal with that for years. It was from joy. It was from joy that I finally get to tell my story. I finally get to get my justice from what he did to me.
1: Um, One survivor told me if more women came forward, there would be a lot less Ronald Wheelers out there.
2: Ronald Willer. It's a lot of people out there that's like Ronald Willer. It's a lot of Ronald Willers out there, a whole lot of them. But it's one less Ronald Willer out there today because women came forward. And if more women would come forward,
1: there'd be a a lot less Ronald Willers out there. So again, just if I could leave you with one word, is just always report. It is so important to report these crimes. Um, there are a number of reasons women don't report. Maybe they're embarrassed, they don't want people to know what happened. You can do so confidentially and and it's just such an important thing to do.
0: Well, Rachel Polanski with WKYC Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing this story.
1: Thank you, Reed, and thank you for shining a spotlight on this topic that so many people often forget about.
0: Thank you as always for joining us for this episode of The Daily Crime. We have a new episode for you every day, Monday through Friday. So make sure you're subscribed to The Daily Crime wherever you are listening right now. If you're interested in checking out some of our other podcasts, including True Crime Chronicles and The Officer's Wife, you can find them all at vaultstudios.com or search for Vault Studios on whatever podcast app you use. That's all for today. Until next time, for Vault Studios, I'm Reid Redmond.